This episode of the YVR Screen Scene Podcast is brought to you by Fish Flight Entertainment. This episode was sponsored in part by listeners like you. Join our Patreon community and receive early access to episodes, bonus content, stickers, buttons, and more. Visit www.patreon.com slash YVR Screen Scene Podcast. Welcome to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast, where we pull back the curtain and expose the beating heart of the Vancouver film and television industry, namely the actors and filmmakers and other talented artists who do the work. Capital T, capital W. I'm Sabrina Rani Firminger. You know here at the YVR Screen Scene Podcast that we like to tell you about up-and-coming filmmakers, up-and-coming storytellers. They are doing some of the most exciting work. They are also the ones who are breaking down doors. Nay, they are kicking down doors. There's no more doors. Okay, there are still some doors. We'll talk about that. Today, I am going to tell you about one of those kinds of filmmakers. His name? Shaquille Jessa. He says we can call him Shaq, so we are 100% going to do that. Shaq recently wrapped show running and writing his first development deal with Warner Media for a story about a queer Muslim teenager going to university for the first time. He was the youngest member to have joined the Warner Media Access and Canadian Academy Writers Program. He's also currently working on creating a new limited series called Bad Influence about a South Asian teenage girl from Toronto, coincidentally named Sabrina, which I kind of love that, who leads a revengeful heist crime ring robbing $11 million from the world's biggest influencers. Oh, and Vancouver Cinephiles will get to see his work on the big screen at the 2022 Crazy Eights Gala. Shaq's moving and kind of sort of adorable short Imran and Ali Khan a film about two boys who fall in love at a Muslim youth retreat but have to keep their relationship a secret from those around them, will have its world premiere. I mean, with all of that, especially with that character named Sabrina, how could I not have Shaq on the pod? So, let us all get to know this exciting emerging filmmaker who clearly has something to say. Shaquille Jessa. Shaq! How's it going? I'm delighted <laughs> to have you here today. I don't even know where to start with you. Um, where do you want to start? Here, this is where I want to start. How do you describe yourself as a filmmaker? Like, what is a Shaquille Jessa work of art? I think it's. it has to be fun. It has to be... It has to mean something, and I want people to leave my work different than they entered it. If that yeah. if that makes any sense, I think that's like the biggest fear for any filmmaker is you go in, and then you watch something, and then you leave, and there's no change. Mm-hmm. Like your life could have been different or the same without it. And I want my work to affect the audience in any way, whether it be good, whether it be bad. As long as they leave affected, that's my goal. Well, I definitely felt 
affected uh, by your Crazy Eights film, which I have mm. had the chance to see. Nobody else has had the chance to see it yet, but I, I know, have. You're like the first one. I know, very exciting. And one of the things that I thought as the credits were rolling, and we're not going to do a lot of spoilers here um, or any spoilers, but one of the things I, I thought was, wow, like I was friends uh, in high school with some closeted, you know, Muslim teenagers uh, in Ontario. And I can only imagine how powerful seeing this story on screen would have been to them, you know, at the time, you know, and so, but they didn't get a chance to see it, right? Because there was really, there was really nothing like this. You know, I remember everybody saw, you know, but I'm a cheerleader and they're like, ah, my God! you know, but like otherwise, like to see, you know, especially like, you know, two adorable, you know, brown boys at Muslim camp, you know, uh, kissing under having a gorgeous romantic moment like that. I can, I know that that would have been, you know, monumental. So t- tell me a bit about, you know, um, like what, what, what you watched growing up and, and, yeah. you know, who are you making films for? And, and how do you want people to feel? Basically just talk, just tell me. I have so, <laughs> I have so many things I want to ask you. I'm not even sure uh-huh. where to start. Uh-huh. Um, in terms of who I make my films for, I think I make it for a younger shack. It's just, if it's, that's weird. I, I, I want to make things that I wish I saw, like similar to, yeah, those kids in Ontario that never got to see this. If I got to see this, I think my life would have been so different if, like older people in my life got to see this, um, it, their lives would just be so different because it, it would open a conversation and it would just start talking about it yeah. as opposed to just like it getting swept under the rug. And also I think like, I really enjoyed this. I really enjoy stories where race, ethnicity and background are acknowledged, mm-hmm. but not the source of problem and not the source of the conflict. Cause then that makes it seem like the, race itself is the conflict whereas like there's other things that are conflicting but we yeah, still can I just the, say that yeah. there was for the longest time like the, there was this like long trend mm-hmm. and I think that it's only kind of ended now where the only time you would see like a, like a, there was the expectation that a South Asian story for example yeah. that was to, that was you know set in Canada had to be all about you know South Asians sitting around thinking about how hard it is to be South Asian and it's mm-hmm. all about you know how uh, are are we accepted in Canadian culture and like honestly we're all very complicated people, you know, very we, that. We, yeah. we, we have, you know, we have work problems. We have rela- I mean, conflict is delicious, but it's not mm-hmm. the only source of conflict. We are as, as, as we contain multitudes of madness, you know, exactly. Like we are so <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and like, especially when the conflict isn't like the actual race itself, but that's still acknowledged and celebrated. I, that's where I want my films to come from too, is that like that next generation place or like that next sort of wave of films that are coming out in the industry about like uh people of color that Mm -hmm. or that star people of color even just the general trend in the industry where it's like the conflict isn't because you're brown because being brown is awesome and it's like the best um so let's make a film where the conflict isn't that but there are those people on screen and i think that's where like even just in the storytelling process like that's the new sort of wave that is being pushed and I'm really happy with this film because I think we were able to do that, hopefully. You did. 
You absolutely okay, yeah. did. Okay, you absolutely that was weird. Okay, so let's talk about let's talk about this film then. Let's talk about um, the inspiration. I mean, you oh. mentioned that this is the kind of film that that you had wished that you had seen. It's the kind of film that I had wished that I had been able to show my friends uh, back in the day. Uh, not that I that I think that it would have you know um, inspired them to just come out, but it'd been like you know this like oh you're not alone and it's going to be okay. Because mm-hmm. um, when you're a teenager, especially, you think that like that's that's it, like that's yeah. That that's your your whole world. And it's like no, you actually get to go on and find find make your community and find your people and and be in your skin. Um, I don't want to answer all of your questions for you. So tell me, <laughs> what was the inspiration for this film? So Sabrina, I okay. If my mom is watching this, she can like turn off the podcast right now. But I went to a Muslim camp and I fell in love with a boy. <laughs> <laughs> so it's basically autobiographical, semi-autobiographical. There's some uh, parts that are different. Like, I don't want to spoil it too much, but there's some parts that are different. But um, yeah, I fell in love with a boy at a Muslim camp. And yeah, yeah. That, that was like my little story. And I, I, I think like the most important thing was that this is just like, it happens. And it's a thing that happens. Like I've, especially in... A lot of cultural films, we want to ignore the messy, the nitty, the gritty that we don't want to talk about, even though there are people there that are experiencing those emotions and that idea, even though they're being told no, which is like... I'm sorry, again. can we just point out the, these stupid cats that are just keep running back and forth across this space? I told you that this might happen. They have the zoomies because I'm recording. It's I'm keeping this in the podcast. Oh, you totally no. should. <laughs> I'm totally <laughs> Yeah, they, they want their moment. So you've been acknowledged, cats. Can you please stop? They're not going to stop. They're not going to stop at all. Um, yeah, you know, we've on the podcast, we've we have talked about uh, the the realities of being South Asian mm-hmm. um, and queer. Uh, and, you know, we featured a documentary uh, on here, the filmmaker of a documentary that was about, you know, specific to the, the Sikh community um, and queerness in there like i i could you speak to kind of like what parallels you know or, or like how how yeah. um queer life is is treated within there is it is it is it similar to mm-hmm. you know a lot of you know more like um conservative uh you know immigrant communities where it's like mm-hmm. it doesn't exist we don't want to see it like yeah. can you speak to that a bit I think it honestly depends on who you surround yourself around within that community. And I think like, as a monolith, I think the general impression from the exterior is that it's not allowed. But as soon as you go into the monolith and you start deep diving at these individual communities, you realize that there are pockets and communities of people that do accept this and not even just accept, but celebrate. And like, I think for me, it's been sort of looking at it as a whole, looking at it as a whole, and going in and finding those little communities within my own community that celebrate me and will support me. And I'm so thankful that I've been able to find that community of queer Muslim, even just queer Muslim filmmakers, queer Muslim just like artists and like novelists. Like I have a whole like I have all these books, or I lent out a few, but I have books on my shelf of just like incredible queer. Yeah, if you borrowed any writers. of Shaq's book, please return them, okay? After you read yeah. them, and and don't like don't bend the pages down and stuff. Oh, That's they. Just, oh, I had cool. one, and it was fully like the spine was just completely broken. And I was no. Like, I oh my god. That was your book, and they did that to your book. Yeah. Like, don't do that to people's books. 
That's I know. That's my books cool. are my babies. My yeah. books are my babies. Like I'm. <laughs> my I, cats were until they were assholes while we're <laughs> while we were recording this. <laughs> yeah, you know, but it's it is, and and I love to I love to hear that you know, and mm. like I I feel like it's about about finding communities within your community, not about people being assholes to your books, um, you know, but, but, you know, I mean, it's one of the joys too, of the kind of the digital age. So we can also use the internet to kind of like, you know, find our people, mm-hmm. you know, a lot easier. What role do you feel that, you know, a film like yours can, can play in either breaking down, you know, stereotypes outside of the community or, mm-hmm. or even within the community? I think it's just the acknowledgement that like queer Muslim artists and queer Muslim people are there and they yeah. exist. I think just the fact that they exist is like this film just like acknowledges that they, that that is a thing and those two words can go together and like, that is okay. Yeah. Queer um, Muslim. Yes. Yeah. That's like a thing. <laughs> and I think like, even in just like a lot of other, like specifically like immigrant communities as well, those two words can't, that word and their community can't go together just because of like, laws back home or like family stereotypes or family impre- like knowledge or lack of no fam- lack of knowledge from the families yeah um and just the fact that those two words can exist in a blog line is just like so cool and i think that's where it starts yeah for me but there's also so many other incredible queer muslim artists and filmmakers that are breaking down those walls that allowed me to make this. So yeah, uh, tell me if tell me about mm-hmm. a few of those. Like, do you remember mm-hmm. the the very first time that you yourself felt seen on screen? You know that mm-hmm. you were watching something and you're like, okay, yeah. I, I exist in that space. There's there's two actually that I'm a huge fan of. Um, one is Kausar Muhammad, and the other is uh, Fazia Mirza. And they're both mm. queer Muslim artist, uh, filmmakers and actresses from L.A. Yeah. And they recently did a short film, um, The Saeed Family Xmas Eve Game Night, I believe. It's a long <laughs> title, but I think I got it right. Okay. Yeah. And um, it premiered at TIFF. And I remember I was gifted tickets to go watch it. And I watched it and I was like so moved because it was the first time I saw a queer relationship, a queer Muslim relationship on screen. And it wasn't the conflict. Hmm. It wasn't like the fact that it was a queer Muslim conflict. It was like, there was other aspects to it that brought the conflict and brought the love. And it was also like a comedy and it wasn't dark and it wasn't like deep. It was funny. And it like made me laugh out loud. And it was like, just like a rom-com Christmas movie in a short film energy. And it was so good. And I think that's the other thing too, is like treating these stories, not always like this, like deep, dark, like, okay, it's a two hour story. I'm going to grab my box of tissues and, you know, I'm going to prepare myself for it. But like, you can just sit back and watch these stories and laugh and have fun and be entertained as opposed to like, just having to be, just having our stories just be social, social activism and movements. Like it can also be fun. It can also be comedy. As you've moved into new spaces, spaces that might not have necessarily had, um, you know, queer people of color in them. And I'm, I'm talking, you know, about something like Crazy Eights. And uh, disclaimer, I'm on the board. 
but you know, say whatever you want. Um, yeah, I, I'm new. I was just, I was just, you know, inducted. Congratulations! Oh my god. Ceremony where robes and blood sacrifice. No, none of that. But I am, I, I, I am on the, <laughs> I am on board. Yeah, I was disappointed. I was like, what? There's no robes, no blood sacrifice. What? I just went to the gala. Yeah. That's, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'll do that at the gala. Um, you know, but but you know, these institutions like Crazy Eights and like you know Warner Media Access Program, Canadian Academy Writers Program. You know. Um, have you have you felt safe in these spaces? You know, have you felt uh, have you encountered any pushback? Like, how have you found these? You know, the the movement into these new spaces. And when I say new, they're new mm-hmm. for you as a young artist, but they're also you know not necessarily have a long history. You know, of you know showcasing uh, diverse voices. You know, what's mm-hmm. that what's that experience been like for you? I've been like welcomed. We, with a lot of open arms into this whole industry. Okay, like, good. I feel like I I'm very, ready to say goodbye yes. to Crazy Eights. No. Oh, ah! <laughs> no, I was. I love. I love. I love them, and I love Warner Media so much. Like I even just even just the indie film scene in Vancouver as a whole. Like mm. I felt like I was welcomed with such open arms to this community of people that I've like look up looked up to in, since high school. Like it's yeah. it's wild. And then the fact that like. They're now people are like following me on Instagram now that I've been like obsessed with for like years and years and years and messaging me and I'm like, this is weird. This is weird because it's like, I know I didn't like, it's not starstruck but it's almost like, because they're just people but like it's also, like, acknowledgement and welcoming into a community that I've like been wanting to be a part of for so long and it's been just so awesome because I've been welcomed so openly to it that it's just it means the world and um yeah i yeah I, good yeah. answer good yeah. answer i like to hear that especially as a board member um yeah. okay let's talk let's talk a bit about like why did you want to do because crazy eights is i mean it's right in the title it's wild. it's a it's a yeah it is a wild process you know to to our listeners who might be unaware like shaquille and all these and these you know five other uh filmmaking teams competed from hundreds of you know applications for the opportunity to make their films in eight days there's three days for filming and then five days for posts and so like you have to be you know you can do a lot in prep but you basically like you are you're like okay and go you know why did you want to do this and and, you know (laughs) know. (laughs) i'm kidding i don't know why i did it no i'm just kidding it was honestly i I was looking for like another project and I don't, I, for me, I work well with deadlines. Mm-hmm. I cannot, I, I can, I don't, I can't get something done without a deadline in the sense that like there has to be, it's hard for me to find time to, to get something done unless there's like a grant application for it due or unless there's a thing due because it'll just always so many of the artists who are listening to this right now are like oh yeah we totally we totally know a lot of creative people are also the worst procrastinators and they need to have that that you know like to be like okay it's happening it's happening now you got to get it done you're like ah i think it's it's like the fear that like as soon as you start it's not going to be perfect Mm. and then it's like oh well if i wait another like three days maybe i might come up with a better idea you know and it's like well no you have to start somewhere and then you have to to do the work and get to the good draft. Like what you see on screen is absolutely never the first draft, never the second draft, never like the hundredth draft. Like yeah. stuff goes through like a crazy amount of drafts. Imran Ali Khan, the first draft that Imran Ali Khan had, had like, this isn't a spoiler at all. It had a ski lift 
in it where there's a seat. <laughs> There was a scene where the boys were on a ski lift, and I was like, oh, this is totally doable. Like, we'll just hop on the other ski lift and put the camera on the other ski lift, and, like, um, they're in the snow, and they'll be, like, just sitting on the ski lift and talking. Yeah. And I was like, oh, this is fine. This is completely fine. And it wasn't until, like, I had someone else read it, they're like, maybe not. <laughs> maybe, maybe not. Maybe I mean, not it, would, it would make it, I mean, we do, we, we do a lot of, um, in Vancouver, a lot of, you know, the Hallmark rom-coms that, you know, t- have mm-hmm. the the skiing, the winter activity, the ski lift and stuff. But, yeah. you know, they're not they're not doing it on a crazy No, <laughs> they're not. And on the budget and on everything. But I think the reason I ended up applying was honestly for just, like, I'm not allowed to swear. For fun. What do you mean? You can fucking can swear I on I the swear? fucking podcast unless your mom is listening. <laughs> I don't want to swear in front of your mom. I have respect. I don't think um, she's going to watch this. I, I, I will tell her to listen to it and skip the part. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, uh, but um, I did it for shits. I literally did it for shits. I, um, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to, I have this story that's been on the thing. Um, I want to write it. I just don't have the, the mo- motivation in my mind to do it without a deadline. Mm-hmm. Let me just submit it to here and get other people. Because I think as soon as I have other people on the line and like I have a com- uh, people that are, you have to give to a deliverable to then i'm then the creative juices started you're flowing. accountable for sure okay. no That's i the word. completely yeah. uh you know i saw you swimming for it i, yes. I know that feeling <laughs> um so when you were casting then mm-hmm. you know especially because as you say this was uh it somewhat uh, autobiographical what qualities were you looking for in your in your two leads mm-hmm. um for Imran, I was looking for the innocence and the naivety of someone who's about to go and embark on their first love. Yeah. Which is... And is that you? That was me at the time. That was your, your avatar in there. Yeah. That was, yeah, that was me. Yeah. And Moheb Jindran did an incredible job bringing Imran to life. And um, for Harn, for Ali Khan, I wrote about the Boyal Blast. The Boyal Blast that I was with was not as... Um, attractive as Ali Khan is. Yeah, Ali Khan is dashing. He's very, um, He's yeah. vi- like. Swoony will pick you up off your feet. Very swoony. He's so swoony. Yeah. Very. He's yeah. incredible. And Harnoor is also an incredible, Harnoor Gill is an incredible, incredible actor. Both of those yeah, boys. Yeah, we're, we're not just, we're not just thirsting yeah. and like, you know, just like, no, like <laughs> but, but both, but both of them, like both of these, these yeah. guys are, are really charismatic in, in their own way. Um, you know, and they had to like, what kind of conversations were you having with them then, you know, Mm -hmm. about, about, you know, who their characters are and and what happens in the film? Yeah, we did a lot of like calls and prep before we even hit to set. Like we went to, we did a whole day where we just talked about uh, like intimacy and what that looks like for them. And I think that's something so important. I think something the industry needs to start working on a lot better is intimacy coordinators. We didn't even have too much intimacy in the terms of like what other people do and don't use intimacy coordinators for. Yeah. I was like, that was like my biggest go-to. I, I, I said it on set and I said it after set too. Like the entire film could go completely to shits. Like we could be, lo- we could have lost all the footage. We could have like, it could have been the worst film in the entire world. Like whatever. If anything happened in terms of intimacy and that on the boys, I failed my job as a filmmaker. And that's how that's how I 
calculated my success. So easy. when we talk about, because we have yeah. we have people who listen who are fans, but not necessarily involved in the in the industry. So mm-hmm. an intimacy coordinator, you know, it's a relatively uh, new kind of position on set. Definitely has come up more in you know, especially after the Me Too era. But it's it's. Uh, and we are still in the Me Too era, but it's, you know, it's for, for um, it's somebody that uh, is involved both in prep and also during production um, who works with actors, works with people on set to make sure that anybody is involved in any kind of, you know, bringing any kind of, you know, physically intimate moment to life on screen, you know, be it, you know, passionate kissing um, or, you know, simulated sex scene or, you know, any, even, you know, sexual violence, um, which is, you know, something that is seen on scene is seen on screen, you know, then it's done in a way that isn't traumatizing, you know, for the performers, for the crew members, that it isn't exploitative, you know, because often performers have not always felt em- empowered to speak up for themselves. And this really is like, as you say, the responsibility of the, the filmmaker, you know, to set a tone, to make sure uh, that, that everybody feels safe. So I'm, I'm very impressed. So you did that Thank to make sure that, and like, it's, you. it's very, it's very adorable what we see. Oh, like it's not, it um, it's yeah. not gra- There's nothing graphic. I mean, frankly, it was, yeah. I mean, I've I mean, been this on set. the kind of thing that could be shown yeah. in, in high schools, right? To, to start conversation, right? Exactly. So, so you have been on sets where... I've been on sets what? as an actor where um, there wasn't an intimacy coordinator. And mm. I, I mean, I was brown. I wasn't doing any of the kissing. But I saw, I was the oh, friend. <laughs> I know. But I was the friend and I was watching two people kiss. And it was literally just the director being like, kiss. And they were like, oh, oh. And it's like... Um, no, like, that's not how this works. This needs to be choreographed. There needs to be conversations about, like, boundaries. Like, what if a certain zone, what if me putting my hand on your neck triggers something in you that could lead to long-lasting trauma and damage? That's a conversation yeah. we need to have. And uh, our intimacy coordinator, Alina, shout out to her. She absolutely killed it um, in terms of check-ins, check-outs um, on the boys to make sure that they were safe the entire way through. Um I which I'm so thankful for. I couldn't have done it without her. Like she. What's her, so? What is her yeah. full name? Alina Quarren. Okay. Yeah, she's incredible. Good job, Alina. She killed and that's it. That's actually definitely so, someone that you know. It. I. I watch the Wavir screen scene feed. We are going to have some conversations about this in in the future because it's, it's important. It's you know, so important. It, it's definitely important. I. Filmmakers need to know about it, and I love that you know that. And also, actors need to know what their what their rights are. Um, tell me what kind of challenges, I love mm-hmm. talking about challenges, what kind of challenges you faced, you know, over the course of your Crazy Eights experience? Mm-hmm. Three days is, a, is not a lot of time. It really isn't. For 14 minutes of a film, let alone, like, I know some other people that got, like, 16, 17 minutes worth of content, like, it's not a lot of time. So yeah. the speed was really stressful and, like, um just as a whole but I think that's just like the process in general and also mm. filmmaking in general like the, I've heard there's sayings where like the, the film set never runs on time or you know like you're like but we made our days every day we got exactly what we needed um we got every scene which is which is great um but yeah time was a big big uh constraint and then sadly enough finding extras was really difficult but mm. also like we didn't. We couldn't pay for extras, obviously, because just like everyone works on yeah. volunteer. So finding people who are willing to give up two, three days of their weekend to just come out and just stand in the background of a set, 
um, was difficult. And really? but also like I also think they're so undervalued as as a group of people, and they make do so much to the production as well. Like they bring so much life and character to the background, and are really what set the tone. Yeah. Of like, like you know, like if you're giving a big speech to like a group of people and there's only one person there, it's not as impactful as like 50, 60 people. Right. But also they're treated so poorly on like in, on sets in general, just as an extra, which is probably what deters, you know? Yeah. So what kind of questions or conversations would you like people to ask or people to have after they've seen... Ooh. your film you know like what kind of thoughts or conversations you know would you like them to carry with them i want people to reminisce on their first loves regardless of who they are regardless of their race sexuality gender identity i want them to reminisce on the first time that they felt like completely present with a person mm-hmm. and like could feel like they could just open up and be vulnerable and that first, that time where you feel that for the first time, you get the butterflies in your stomach and you're alone with this person and the, it's like time stops. I want mm-hmm. them to relive those moments, um, which I just think is so important because it's so universal. Like everyone has that moment in their life where they can remember, like if you ask someone who their first kiss was their first love, like that's, that moment is so ingrained in who we are oh, and in our, yeah. in our journeys that I want to, I wanted to like have people reminisce on that and also have the conversations about like, oh, it's two boys and that's normal. That's a thing. And I was still able to relate to this and reminisce on my love through these boys. Yeah. And, you know, like the fact that anyone could watch this and be like, oh, well, I have had a similar experience to this and not even be queer, be Muslim, but can still be like, I also relate to exactly what that is, is such a gift. Yeah, because, you know, also like, that's what like queer people have had to do for like the history of entertainment, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Watching rom-coms and love stories on screen, you know, and like without yeah. seeing themselves, but like being like, okay, I love, I love, I ship this, you know, yeah. but, but because of the, because it's all this heterosexual thing that I'm seeing on screen, cause it's all we get to see. Yeah. You know, so, and, but I'm still like, you know, like rooting for them or whatever. Like, and also exactly. I still see myself in that. And I'm I like, still oh. see myself because yeah. these emotions are, are universal. Now I'm considering the fact that you said up top that you made this film for a younger version of yourself. Did making this film make you look back at your experience, you know, of, of young love at, at camp um, yeah. in a different way? Ooh, it was weird. Cause like, I, I was transported back to camp in terms of like, we were on set and we were in a cabin and I was like, whoa, this is really similar. Like, it's giving me the vibes again. There's a lot of brown boys here. There's a lot of brown people here in general. Like, okay, we're back in the vibe. The counselor's there. Um, But um, I think I did, it was a very retrospective lens. And I really Mm. tried to write Imran not retrospectively. And like, I tried to really take myself back to that July and live in Imran's present, even though the future Shaq is writing it as he knows what's going to happen, which I think is really difficult to do when you're writing something so close to you is to remove yourself from it. And that was a big lesson that I think I learned was when the work is so personal, being able to remove yourself, even just remove yourself as the writer and put on the director hat and remove yourself as the director and put on the writer hat because there's such different elements and aspects that you need to do for both roles. And if you're both at the same time and you haven't taken off one hat to put on the other, 
you, you can get lost in the work and can get caught up on things that don't at the end of the day matter um, in terms of the end shot, like whether or not he's holding something in his right hand or left hand, like at the end of the day matter for continuity and for story purposes, but in the overall general picture of the film yeah, is not going to make the biggest difference. And that was something I just had to put on the hats and be like, okay, director shack, even though in the real version you had your in, in this, you had it this way, this version, you can have it this way. Yeah. 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 Okay. I'm so excited for everybody to see your too. film. Um, and it's, it's going to be, uh, so it's May 7th. Yes. And uh, by the time this episode drops, tickets will be on sale. You can find uh, a link to tickets in the footnotes for this episode. It's been exciting hosting you today, Shaq. Shaq, Thank you. Um, where can people uh, find you and follow you on all the social meds so that we, you know, we can all keep keep up to date with everything that you're working on? I love that you see social meds. I remember listening to the episode of the podcast and I was like, oh my God, I'm going to start saying this. This is so <laughs> cool. I love this. It's like, um, it's really funny because I don't know that I've actually asked some people and they've kind of like looked at me in a moment and been like, oh, oh, you mean social media? And I'm like, yes, I do That's mean iconic. That. That's so good. <laughs> no, I love it. I, 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 like, I think I've low-key started saying it. Like, okay, good, think- good. I'm starting a trend. Honestly, Loki. Yeah. Um, okay. I was being, I was being really quirky the other day. You can just Google Shaquille Jessa on Instagram and it'll come up, but I changed my name to shaquillejessa.pdf the other day. Cause I was like, Oh, I'm going to be cool and quirky and different and unique, mm-hmm. but it's probably going to change in like another couple of days. Like I change my username all the time, but if you yeah, just search- I mean, I think that you are all of those things that you just said, um, regardless of what your, your name is, uh, you know, that was so deep. Yeah, all my <laughs> moments. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, Shaquille Jessa, uh, everywhere on Twitter, Instagram, everywhere. Everywhere. Are you on the TikTok? I am on TikTok. Actually, Imran Ali Khan, uh, you should follow Imran Ali Khan on TikTok. Okay. Uh, we, we, went, we had a couple of TikToks go viral. <gasps> no way. Yeah. Yeah, okay, well, I'm not allowed like on TikTok. My, my 11-year-old daughter won't let me on TikTok. Um, so I will have her... <laughs> There we go. Look for that on TikTok and then show me. And then she yeah. wants I'm also just Shaquille Jessa on TikTok if anyone is wanting to. Okay. L- look for all of the links to that, Shaquille. It's been an absolute pre- pleasure having you here today. Um, and uh, yeah, that's, that's that. Please like, subscribe, leave us a review if you are so inclined. They help us find even more listeners. And then we can keep, keep having more conversations like the one we had today. And I think today's was pretty damn good. You can find us at www.yvrscreenscene.com. You can find all the footnotes there for this episode. You can follow us on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram, not TikTok, at YVR Screen Scene and also at Sabrinarf, which is my personal one. And honestly, that's where the magic happens. YVR Screen Scene Podcast is hosted and executive produced by me, Sabrina Ronnie Mara Furminger. And it's edited by Simon Furminger. Special thanks to Mariana Furminger for recording our Patreon ad, to Paul Furminger for technical support, and to Dane, not Furminger Devley, but Dane, your family to us, uh, for the original music. Why Your Screen Scene is a division of Fish Flight Entertainment. Join us next time for another deep dive into Vancouver's dynamic film and television scene. And cut! This ad begins with a story about an important but largely forgotten piece of Hollywood North history, the fish flight. 
In the 1980s, the fish flight was an early morning flight from Vancouver that delivered fresh fish to Los Angeles before the start of the business day. These were the early days of Hollywood North, before digital deliveries and fast transfer speeds, and the pioneers of the Vancouver film industry began loading up the fish flight with film reels so Hollywood execs could review the footage shot on the previous day. The fish flight was also one of the building blocks of the visual effects and animation mecca that is present-day Vancouver. And Fish Flight Entertainment builds on this legacy. Fish Flight Entertainment serves the games, film, and television industries. We remember the days of the fish flight and attack our projects with the same passion as those pioneering days of yore. We believe in jumping off the cliff and building our wings on the way down. And who knows? That old fish with improvised wings may even fly. Learn more about Fish Flight Entertainment at fishflightentertainment.com. That's fishflightentertainment.com. Dot com.